Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy Sunday. I'm so excited to bring the word this morning. Um, I have been like, as soon as Matt, Maddie asked me if I would bring the word this weekend, I, it just like hit me in my spirit. I knew exactly what God wanted um, me to speak about, which is really cool because that doesn't always happen that way. Um, and I think it's such an honor and a privilege to be asked to teach the word um, from this platform. And so I want you to know that I have been seeking the Lord <laughs> and finding him and just so prayerfully um, considering what God would want to say to you this morning. Um, and I really feel like the Holy Spirit said to me he wants to bring like a healing ointment to the house this morning. Like places that are maybe wounded or raw that he's come this morning and one of the things he wants to do, if, you, if we'll allow him, is to bring like a healing balm to wounds that maybe we've been carrying. Um, so I'm really excited about that because, you know, I have wounds still that I need the Holy Spirit to, to just heal, to bring what only he can bring and to do what only he can do and heal places in me still. And it's amazing how the kindness of God will like unsurface things that you didn't realize were still there gently and carefully because he's a good father and he loves us so much and he does it the way that is uh, for our benefit and for his glory. Um, so I've loved this series, The Greatest Year of My Life. I mean, like, I've been sitting over there and listening every week, and, I'm, and it's, it's been unique the way that I felt as I was sitting there and, and embracing everything that God was speaking through Matt to us. Um, and it was almost like, I don't know if you felt this, but there was just like this weight like of God's goodness over the last four weeks where I'm like, man, this is changing my life. This is like shifting again the way that I see the world and I feel like it's reset my focus and it's sent me off like launched me like a catapult, like here we go, 2021, I'm ready, you know, and I've been sitting there and embracing the wisdom. The first week we talked about, if you want to have the greatest year of your life, what do we need to be doing? Number one, glorify God. And then week two, live according to the word. Week three, listen to God's voice. And week four, walk in wisdom. And each one of those was like life shifting for me. I just walked out like almost weepy, like, God, you're just so good. You just keep getting better. Like he's endless. And as he keeps revealing himself to me, I'm like, I can't believe it. He just gets better and better and better and better and better. And it's not because he wasn't already that way. It's just like my eyes are getting opened weekly to like, but there's more. It's like an infomercial, but like a holy one. <laughs> but there's more. <laughs> and we've been in this text, and I'm going to read it to us, Ephesians 3, starting in verse 20. God can do anything, you know, far more far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request even in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. 
And I felt him doing that in my own heart in the last month. His Holy Spirit just working deeply and gently in my own heart, making me more like him. And I got a long way to go. But he has been working deeply and gently within me, and I feel like that's just going to continue today if we allow him. Amen? So let's pray. God, we love you. You are worthy of every bit of glory and honor that we have mustered this morning and more. God, we praise you with everything we've got for who you are, for what you've done. And God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of the story that you're writing in our own hearts and in our city. We want to hear from you, Holy Spirit. We want you to work deeply and gently within us. I'm asking you, God, in my own heart and all across this room, I pray that our prayer would be, God, today, Holy Spirit, today, work deeply and gently within me to make me look more like you, Jesus. God, help me to move out of the way so that I can be a mouthpiece for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, love, and truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so my son Jack had a birthday this weekend. We call him the Jaybird. Uh, my dad actually coined that phrase because Jack is just like a wild card. You, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. He's witty, he's funny, and he just turned seven. So you just really never know what you're going to get. And my dad kind of doesn't know what to do with him sometimes because he's just bizarre. He's just a funny kid. So my dad would be like, he's a jaybird. So it stuck. So the jaybird turned seven um, on Friday, and we spent the day celebrating Jack. And um, we asked him, you know, Jack, what do you want to do for your birthday, bud? Like, what would be, like, awesome for you? What's going to make this a great birthday? And he said, Dad, I want you to take me fishing in the morning, just you. And everybody else cried because they were invited. And we're like, well, it's his birthday, so if that's what he wants to do, you can all do that on your birthday, too. The Jaybird's going fishing. And so off they went at sunrise, uh, Maddie and Jack for a little fishing trip, just the boys, and it was 40 degrees outside, freezing. His face was like bright red in all the pictures and wind burned, and like he had the best morning ever. They didn't bring me any lunch, so not bitter, but you know, <laughs> at least stop at Publix. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is there any like wives in the house and their husband goes fishing for like eight hours and you're like, I mean, cool, cool, but like where's dinner? <laughs> it's just a pro tip. If you've left your wife at home with the children and gone fishing, bring fish from somewhere. <laughs> so they went fishing in the morning, and that was awesome. And then we had family over in the middle of the day and had some lunch and birthday cake and all that. It was great. And then the other thing we, he wanted to do on his birthday was he wanted to play golf. So he's going to have the same birthday when he's 70. He's going to go fishing probably and play golf. I feel like he's on to a good start. He's getting the ball rolling early at 7. Maybe he'll bring home fish when he's 70. I don't know. <laughs> it could only go up. So we went and we took him to Top Golf. Um, and he's never been to Top Golf. And my boys love playing golf and they love playing golf with their dad. And they're actually like really good at it, like freakishly good at it, where their swing is like, I would do it, but I'm not good at golf. Their swing is magnificent. I like watch, I'll watch like a video that Maddie's taken of Charlie or Jack swinging. I'm like, I mean, basically, they're Tiger Woods. They're just smaller. But they co make contact with the ball, and they send it flying. And um, so we walk into Top Golf, you know, and Jack's, like, never been there. And he loves anything with, like, lights and, like, screens. He's into all that stuff. He's, like, the button kid. Anything he can push or, like, make activate. So he's, like, eyes are popping out of his head, just like, this is so 
awesome. And he's got that, like, I'm seven and I'm cool, but <laughs> it's the best thing ever. And we walk down to our bay, you know, and, and we're playing top golf, and he's getting a grilled cheese, which is his favorite thing in the whole world, eating French fries with his friends. And, like, they're just hitting golf balls, you know, and it's, like, lighting up in the field. And this was, like, Jack's ultimate day, right? Like, he's just living the dream. And as we took him on that whole birthday day, I was just thinking, man, isn't this like God looks at us, where he's like, I want you to have the greatest year of your life. What does that look like for you? What have you dreamed up? What have you thought, like, if I could have the greatest year of my life, like, these are all the things in my heart, God. These are all the things that I want to accomplish this year. This is where I feel like my heart is going this year, God. And I feel like our Father in heaven looks down at us like, that is awesome. That's so great. All right, let's do this. You know, when when he knows it's going to be good for us. Because here's the other side of the birthday day that we had is, Jack was living the dream, right? And he's like out there swinging his club, nailing these golf balls, and he's just like, I am awesome. I'm going to take another turn, guys. I'm just going to keep hitting because I'm the birthday boy. And there was a few times, you know, we had to be like, hey, bud, it's going to be so good to have a birthday for you, but guess what? We're still going to love our friends well. And guess what, bud? Like, we need a little correction here because you maybe you're like a little over-pumped, and so let's just bring it back and let's love each other well. And there was a little bit of correction in our birthday day, right? And isn't that just like God? He's like, I see these dreams in your heart. Jack would have eaten cake until he threw up, right? But like, I'm his mom, and I know that's not going to make him feel good. There are things that we're like, I just want to do this thing, God. And God is like, hey, guess what? I love you. And this thing is actually going to make you sick. This thing is going to destroy your day. This thing could destroy your life. And he's bringing loving correction and he's working gently and deeply within us as we have these amazing dreams that he's put in our hearts for this year and he's helping us walk them out. And it's part of having the greatest year of our lives. I think back to like the greatest years that I can remember of my life. You know what they were? They were the years that I was wildly abandoned to what God was asking me to do. They were the years that when God said, go here, I said, yes, Lord. They were the years where I spent time with him like never before. They were the years where there was risk. Those are the best years of my life. life. And then I think about the disciples of Jesus. And I, I was thinking, gosh, I wonder if you could ask them what they would consider the best years of their lives to have been, what they would say. Was it the years before Jesus when they had routine and they were just comfortable, you know, and they had their life going at a pace that was acceptable to the people around them? Or was it the years that Jesus came and said, follow me, and they left everything? Was it the years when they took inconceivable risks? Was it the years when the apostles started building the church that they were the most exciting years of their lives or was it the ones where they were comfortable before? Do you see what I'm saying? We started out this year going, I'm gonna have the greatest year of my life and we talked about how. But I think it can't be lost on us that the greatest years of our lives doesn't mean everything just goes perfect. The greatest years of our lives will be the years that we give God our everything, that we take risks, that we get uncomfortable, that we say yes no matter what, God. That's the recipe. 
for the greatest year of your life. I was thinking about that. I felt like the Lord just showed me there's something that can keep us from having the greatest year of our lives. And I think it's something that started to creep in, even just in the last month, because I have a lot of close friends that have been struggling with this since they said, you know what, yes, this is going to be the greatest year of my life. I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to listen to his voice, and I'm going to walk in wisdom. Yes, God, I want to have the greatest year of my life. And you know what could be one of the greatest roadblocks as we start out the year saying that? Disappointment. There are people in my world that I love and am close to that have experienced some of the greatest disappointments of their lives in the last month. And disappointment can take us out if we don't deal with it, right? Like, if we're going to be real this morning, and we're going to say, I want to have the greatest year of my life, do you know what we need to come to terms with and learn how to deal with is disappointment. Because we weren't promised a, a life that was easy, right? We weren't promised a world without trouble. In fact, in John 16, 33, it says, And everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For this, in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows. But you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. So if you're looking for a title this morning... For the greatest year of my life, the title is, What to Do with Disappointment. What is disappointment? It's a sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectation. How you doing? <laughs> wow, wow. Not to be Debbie Downer, but we're just going to get real. There's two kinds of disappointment I think we face as believers. One is when the enemy steals something from us, when there's a theft which just FYI, God has promised to restore. Yes. And then the other is when we don't get what we ask for in the timing that we want or this side of heaven, which is very risky because that kind of disappointment can become like a perpetual disappointment where we begin to like anticipate or expect to be disappointed, which is why it's so important that as believers we know what to do with disappointment because it's not that we're not going to experience it. It's just that we have to do something with us with it or it become, becomes like a sickness in our body. I just wanted to share for a minute some of our own disappointment because Matt and I have had our fair share. It's not like we're immune somehow to disappointment in the world. When we had our first son, he was born when I was six months pregnant and he didn't make it past the first 12 hours. And we were like in our 20s, you know, like young. And we experienced this moment of, God, I know that you can do anything. God, you are able. God, you can turn this around. God, you can make him well. God, like we were speaking the truth that we knew God said about who he is and what he can do. And yet we didn't experience the miracle that we were hoping for. Disappointment. But do you know what? In that moment, we had the choice to let the disappointment shape the rest of our lives and how we viewed God, or to figure out what to do with the disappointment that was weighing so heavy in our hearts. And the disappointment would have absolutely taken us out if we would have allowed it to fester inside of us. 
But what I realized is that in the world, we will have trouble. My revelation was, this is not my home. What the, what the enemy has broken on the earth and the pain that I experience right now because of broken worlds is nothing compared to the complete wholeness and healing that awaits me in heaven, which is what I'm going towards, which is the goal. And so I'm not going to look just for the earthly, I get what I want and I get what I need right now, but I'm going to keep moving towards heaven and home. And when disappointments tries to take me out on the earth, I'm going to replace it with a view that's fixed on heaven and know that he answers my every request and he brings complete healing and complete wholeness as we enter heaven and home. So I began to reshape the way that I saw my life and disappointment didn't shape the rest of my world. Does it still hurt? Oh yeah. Do I understand it? No. But do I keep moving forward? Yes. Because disappointment doesn't get to decide where I'm going. Imagine the things in our lives that would be like a wasteland if we stopped in the middle. Think about building a house. Think about building a house in Florida and hurricane season. <laughs> you start building your house. You get the foundation for it. Maybe you get some walls up and all of a sudden a northeaster comes or a hurricane blows through. And you're like on pause. And it's hard because your timeline is getting messed up. And you're like, I just want to be in there by Christmas or this is hard. Everything's shifted now. Imagine if you just stopped. Don't, I give up. And all the money goes to waste. All the materials go to waste. And it's just that house that's kind of half built and falling down. But when you understand that there's a master plan, when you understand that if you just keep going, the rest of the walls will be built. The second level will get put in. The roof will go on. You'll get a faucet. You'll get a toilet. <laughs> All the things are coming, but you have to keep going, right? Because if you just stop in the middle, you're never going to see what was promised at the beginning. If we just stop in our disappointment in life, we're missing the master plan. It was never that this would be our home. We're waiting for heaven and home. And when we stop somewhere in the middle and are crushed by disappointment, we don't get to experience the fullness of heaven and home that's waiting for us. Disappointment can become the wasteland of hope that's deferred. Proverbs 13.20 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Do you know what the Bible says about wastelands? This is what the Lord says about wastelands. And let me be clear, the enemy would love nothing more than for you to have a life filled with wasteland. But this is what God says about it. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Do you feel like you're in a valley? You feel like there's a wasteland? Do you know who makes water in the desert and streams in the wasteland? It's our God. This is what it says in Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. 
I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. See, our hope deferred can become a wasteland of disappointment. But on the contrary, if we take the disappointment to Jesus and we hand it over, he wants to give in exchange for our disappointment living hope. If hope deferred makes the heart sick, we're talking about a natural hope. But this is what Jesus says. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Jesus is our living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who are through faith who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a hope, a living hope that he wants to give us today in exchange for our disappointment. And there is a hope that the Bible says is an anchor for our soul. I'm going to keep going. I hope you've got your pens because there's a lot of scripture today and I'm not mad about it. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20 says, So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. This is what it says. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Okay. So we're like, we're going to have the greatest years of our lives And then we find ourselves stumbling over a bit of disappointment. And then we're going, okay, what do I do with this disappointment? And we realize the hope that we had created disappointment and that hope deferred has made our hearts sick. So now we're like, how do I get this hope that's an anchor for my soul? What did we just read? And we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. It's where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. Do you understand that when it says he's established something ahead of time for you, he's talking about heaven and home. There is an unshakable hope because he's gone before us and he's prepared the way and he is a God of victory and we're not hoping that he's going to come through for us. He has already come through for us and our promise waits on the other side of heaven, but we're living right now. So we're in the here right now, but we're waiting for the not yet. Are you feeling all the tension? Like of, oh, like I know that it's coming, but I'm here, but there's hope here, but I'm waiting for the hope that's there. It's like, do you know what you need to understand? You have hope wherever you are. He has given you a living hope for today, and he has promised you an unshakable hope that's waiting for us as we step into eternity. So if this is going to be the greatest year of our lives, we have to figure out what to do with a disappointment. And I want to give us two things this morning, a non-exhaustive couple of things that will help us to deal with disappointment that we face. Number one is to consider him faithful. If we are to consider him faithful, we have to start here. Noah, by faith, built an ark. 
Sarah, by faith, even past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children. Abraham, by faith, made his home in the promised land like a stranger, lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. We have to consider him faithful. What did all of those three do? They considered him faithful, who made the promise. They considered his glory. They considered what he had done before and what he promised to do again. We're going to go to Hebrews, which is a great segue to my favorite joke. How does Moses make coffee? Hebrews it. (laughs) You're welcome. Does anybody like just the best dad jokes ever? Dad jokes are my favorite. Um, This is what it says in Hebrews 11. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out in faith. He lived by faith as an immigrant in his promised land. As though it belonged to someone else, he journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. Listen, his eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations. They were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle power to conceive, even though she was barren and past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested on the one who made the promise, and she tapped into his faithfulness. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith, one who was as good as dead. Who hopes nobody ever describes them as that? (laughs) Hey, yeah, he's great. He's as good as dead. Like, (laughs) that's the worst. That he now has offspring as innumerable as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. I have to stop there because when I read that, I was like, God, let this be me. That even when this side of eternity, I haven't seen the promise come, you will find me clinging to my faith as I take my last breath, knowing that this is not the end. Can you picture that in your mind? Like in my whole being, I'm like, God, that let that be me. Let that be my heart. Let that be my faithfulness. Let that be my perseverance. Let them find me clinging. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. I wonder if we could do that. I wonder if we could see beyond the horizon, the horizon, the fulfillment of the promises that God has given us and embrace them from afar when we can't hold them yet and know that they're real and that they're happening and they're coming. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. For clearly, those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn their back. They couldn't turn back for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater, that is, the heavenly realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God, for he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Do you know that God has set a timeline for us? This is like letting us know that God's timeline is different than ours, that he has gone to prepare a heavenly city for us. Do you know how to exchange disappointment for hope? Live on God's timeline. Our timeline looks like, God, I'm really believing for this, and I would like it, please, in the next year. 
And a year passes and we're like, been faithful, (laughs) hey. And then another year passes and we're like, seriously, (laughs) waiting. (laughs) And then three years pass and then five years pass and then a decade passes and we're like, hello, I'm waiting. Do you know that God is not short on keeping his promises? Do you know that even when you're waiting, he's still going to come through? But it's going to be on his timeline. And my question for us this morning and for myself is how long is too long? How long do we wait before we stop believing that he's faithful? What else does he have to do for us but send his only son to die on the cross so that we would have a life in a heavenly city that we're moving towards for us to be okay with, yes, God, whatever it looks like. You have my yes. Right? But that's painful because that's where disappointment wants to creep in and crush our soul. But if we don't know that we have a living hope and an unshakable city that God has prepared for us, then we can live in the disappointment instead of living in the living hope. So we've got to get on his timeline. And I want to give us two practical ways to consider him faithful when we're facing disappointment. Number one, act like he is. Sometimes you just got to act like he is. Like when my kids are just like losing their minds, one in particular just like, out of nowhere. Just like, it's fine, fine, fine. And then we call him the Hulk. It's like veins pop out of his neck and it's a thing. And our response is, rule your spirit. You're not allowed to act like that. Self-control, son. Straighten up. Oh, I just gave away which two it was. 50-50 shot of getting it right. Um, but they're not just allowed to act the way that they want to act. We tell them, like, you, gotta, you can't act like that. Rule your spirit, man. Get some self-control. Sometimes our, our natural self wants to, like, freak out. And you got to rule your spirit. you got to act like he is who he says he is. you got to get yourself in check. That means, like, with your attitude and with your language, don't be negative all the time. Start to change your language. When the enemy tries to convince you that, like, It's never going to happen for you. You say, my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You start to speak out what he said about you and just change your language. Rule your spirit. Decide that's not how I'm going to see the world. Your tongue has the power of life and death. That's what Proverbs 18, 21 tells us. So wield it well. It's a weapon. So act like he is and then we respond like he is. When we consider him faithful, we respond like he's faithful. And I'd love to just take a minute and talk about the difference between a lament and a complaint. Okay, when we feel disappointed, this isn't like the kind of we're dealing with it where we just shove it under our rug. The difference between Israel and David was that Israel complained and David lamented. Israel complained, I just wrote a few down. They complained about the wilderness, leaving Egypt. The water was bitter, the manna, they were thirsty. Moses kept going up to the mountain and he was just taking so long. (laughs) And then my favorite one is something else that isn't specified in Numbers 11, one through three, but it was enough to anger God to the point that he burned some of them up with fire. (laughs) Complaining and complaining and complaining and God doesn't like that. (laughs) 
Thank God we're not in the Old Testament. (laughs) Sorry. So we've got to learn not to be complainers. If we're going to consider him faithful, that means we don't complain, we lament. And the difference between lamenting is that lamenting is pouring out your heart before God, being real about where you are, and then letting him turn it into hope. God is moved by compa- with compassion for his people. It tells us in Matthew 9:36, Jesus wept, John 11:35. He's with us in our laments. He doesn't want you to be disappointed, and when you're disappointed and you're hurting, he sits with you in it. Lamentations, laments, hello, God likes it. There's a whole book in the Bible about it. Lamentations 3:28 and 29 in the message says, "When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer." Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Christian lament leads to hope. N.T. Wright says, It is no part of the Christian vocation than to be able to explain what's happening and why. In fact, it is, a, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. David lamented over and over. In the Psalms, we see him pouring out his heart before God. In the Bible, it says that he was a man after God's own heart. Let me read you in Psalms 13. This is a psalm of David's lament. So if you're like, what does lament look like? This is a great psalm to help you understand what lament looks like. Lament leads to hope. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. That's lament. Don't hide it. Pour it out before God. And then begin to declare who he is over the sorrow in your heart. Let him reshape how you see what's happening in your life. Psalm 33 says, watch this. God's eye is on those who respect him, the ones who are looking for his love. He's ready to come to their rescue in bad times. In lean times, he keeps body and soul together. He doesn't want your complaints. That puts him on trial for who he is. He wants your lament that resets the hope in your heart to remember what he's done. And what he's going to do. So number one, consider him faithful. And number two, keep going. What do people do that consider him faithful? They keep going. They don't give up in the middle of the process. They're not blown about in the wind, just getting moved every which way. They're like, no, my God is faithful. I'm going to keep going. They remind themselves of what God has done in the past and what he's going to do in the future. Sometimes keeping on going is like the muddy army crawl in the dirt. And you're like, people are going to see me after this. People are going to see me. They're going to know because I've got mud all over my clothes and I've been in the dirt. Let them see you. 
In fact, find a safe community where you let people see what kind of a season you're in so they can offer you their washing machine. <laughs> right? Yeah. Don't do life alone. Sometimes you've got to go off. You've got to enter the silence. You've got to bow your head in prayer and you wait for hope to appear. When hope appears if, you, appears, if you feel like you're crawling in the dirt out of desperation and God is leading you to living hope, get people around you that are like, you, you're doing great. Come on, come on, you're doing great. I'm going to help you get out of there. Come to my house. Let me cook you dinner. Let me wash your clothes for you while you wear some of my clothes because that'd be weird. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but I want to give us a couple of tools to keep going. If we want to keep going, we need to know who God says he is, and we need to know who he says we are. So I'm going to start with who God says he is, and this is like lightning round, right? We're going to put these scriptures up on social media sometime this week, so if you don't, can't write them down fast enough, that's fine. Um, all right, so who he says he is. This is not an exhaustive list. Oh, yeah, there they are. <laughs> yep. I'm going to read them all. I'm just kidding. Um, all right, who he says he is. <laughs> Somebody went, oh. <laughs> That's good. All right, here we go. He is light, John 1, 5. He is with us wherever we go, Joshua 1, 8, and 9. He is our help and sustainer, Psalm 54. Our refuge, Psalm 62. King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, 1 Timothy 1. I am, Exodus 3. Unchanging, Malachi 3, 6. Everlasting, Isaiah 40, verse 28. God is spirit, John 4, 24. God, the God of justice, Psalm 50, verse 6. Merciful, Deuteronomy 4, 31. Gracious and compassionate, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9, the judge, Psalm 50, verse 6, a son and a shield, Psalm 84, 11 and 12, love, John 4, 7 through 9, his plans stand forever, Psalm 33, 11 through 13, God who saves, God who bears our burdens, Psalm 68, 19 and 20, patient, 2 Peter 3, 9, God who gives rest, Matthew 11, 28, these are the names of God, El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, El Elyon, the Most High God, Adonai, Lord and Master, Yahweh, Lord Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Mekadishem, I really practiced that. Mekadishem, the Lord who sanctifies you. El Olam, the everlasting God. Elohim, God. Kona, jealous. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And Jehovah Saboeth, the Lord of hosts. This is who God says that he is. If we want to keep going, we need to know who God says he is because when we're in our lament and when we're sitting in disappointment and we're like, I'm not going to stay here, we need to remind ourselves who God says he is. Do you know why the Israelites stayed and died in the deserts, the one who did? It's because they didn't remember that God had done great things and they stopped telling their children and the generations what God had done and they forgot. But we aren't going to forget because we know who God says he is. And we need to know who he says we are as the team comes back up. We are created in his own image, Genesis 1.27. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10. We are children of God, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 1 Peter 2. Where the Spirit of God dwells, that is who we are, 1 Corinthians 3.16. 
In Christ, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. More than a conqueror, Romans 8, 37. The light of the world, a city on a hill, Matthew 5, 14. Fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. Citizens of heaven, Philippians 3, 20. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6. I don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, 1 Timothy 1. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4, 13. I'm a friend of God. God, John 15, my every need is supplied according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4. I am redeemed, Ephesians 1. Peace guards my heart and mind, Philippians 4. I am valued, Luke 12, 7, and I have peace, John 14, 27. This is who he says we are. You want to trade in disappointment for hope? You've got to know who he says you are. We need some ammunition, right? Like, there's some weaponry for you. This is who my God is, and this is who he says I am. And in just a minute, we're going to take a minute and just worship because I think there's something that we need to let go of today. There's still disappointment that I need to give up to God. So why don't we go ahead and stand to our feet all around, and I just want to take a minute. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what's been bubbling up? You know that feeling in your throat where you're like, I got to deal with this. The Holy Spirit's bringing it to my attention. And as we close our eyes all across the room, I just want you to ask him. Where there's places that you felt deep disappointment and you haven't understood, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you where he was. Ask the Father in heaven to show you where he was. Ask Jesus to show you in your disappointment where, where he could be found. Just eyes closed. Holy Spirit, show me. And if there's anything that you've been holding on to, you can sense that God is like, just set it at my feet. If you could just set this down, this disappointment at my feet, I want to give you the great exchange of living hope through Jesus Christ, an unshakable foundation. I want to fix your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we open our hearts, as you show us places that need to come back to life, we would be soft-hearted, willing to lay it down at your feet. You would show us what to do with disappointment. Show us how to remember you faithful. Show us, God, how to lament. Show us how to keep going. Remind us of who you are and who you say we are. And the last thing I want to do is, as I was sitting in worship, I felt like the Lord brought this scripture to me. We're singing before, not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. And we sang, come Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. And I felt like he wanted me to tell you where that came from. This is what it says in Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. This is a vision that Ezekiel is having. Bones that were very dry. Has anybody ever felt just dry? Like in a, season, a desert season? He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath 
enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, together bone to bone. And I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them. This is talking about what Jesus does when he comes into your heart and life. He takes the dry bones, the places that were dead, and he brings us back to life. He puts skin on us. He puts bone and muscle together in tendons, and he breathes the breath of life in us. And it said, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to that, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open up your graves and bring you up from them, we're no longer going to be living dead the way that we used to, where there was no living hope. He's about to breathe the breath of life as we sing, as we worship, as we turn our hearts toward him. I will put my spirit in you, it says, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that the, I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declared the Lord, declares the Lord. So as we begin to sing, would you be brave enough to take that disappointment and exchange it for living hope this morning? Would you be brave enough to let the Spirit of God, through Jesus Christ, the living Son, breathe the breath of life into you again? Would you allow him to take places that were dry and weary abandon things that felt like they were dead and put the breath of life in them again. Would you be willing to open your hands and open your heart and let the Holy Spirit do a work as we sing? Come on team, let's begin to sing. Come on church, let's press in. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you, why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you to also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.